Chapter Eight of Clotel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clotel by William Wells Brown. Chapter Eight: The Separation. In many ways does the full heart reveal the presence of the love it would conceal, but in far more the estranged heart lets know the absence of love which yet it fain would show. At length the news of the approaching marriage of Horatio met the ear of Clotel. Her head grew dizzy, and her heart fainted within her, but with a strong effort at composure she inquired all the particulars, and her pure mind at once took its resolution. Horatio came that evening, and though she would fain have met him as usual, her heart was too full not to throw a deep sadness over her looks and tones. She had never complained of his decreasing tenderness or of her own lonely hours, but he felt that the mute appeal of her heart-broken looks was more terrible than words. He kissed the hand she offered, and with a countenance almost as sad as her own, led her to a window in the recess shadowed by a luxuriant passion-flower. It was the same seat where they had spent the first evening in this beautiful cottage, consecrated to their first loves. The same calm, clear moonlight looked in through the trellis, the vine then planted had now a luxuriant growth, and many a time had Horatio fondly twined its sacred blossoms with the glossy ringlets of her raven hair. The rush of memory almost overpowered poor Clotel, and Horatio felt too much oppressed and ashamed to break the long deep silence. At length, in words scarcely audible, Clotel said, "'Tell me, dear Horatio, are you to be married next week?' He dropped her hand as if a rifle-ball had struck him, and it was not until after long hesitation that he began to make some reply about the necessity of circumstances. Mildly but earnestly the poor girl begged him to spare apologies. It was enough that he no longer loved her, and that they must bid farewell. Trusting to the yielding tenderness of her character, he ventured, in the most soothing accents, to suggest that as he still loved her better than all the world, she would ever be his real wife, and they might see each other frequently. He was not prepared for the storm of indignant emotion his words excited. True, she was his slave. Her bones and sinews had been purchased by his gold, yet she had the heart of a true woman, and hers was a passion too deep and absorbing to admit of partnership, and her spirit was too pure to form a selfish league with crime. At length this painful interview came to an end, they stood together by the Gothic gate, where they had so often met and parted in the moonlight. Old remembrances melted their souls. "'Farewell, dearest Horatio,' said Clotel. "'Give me a parting kiss.' Her voice was choked for utterance, and the tears flowed freely as she bent her lips toward him. He folded her convulsively in his arms, and imprinted a long, impassioned kiss on that mouth, which had never spoken to him but in love and blessing." With efforts like a death-pang, she at length raised her head from his heavy bosom, and turning from him with bitter sobs, "'It is our last. To meet thus is henceforth crime. God bless you. I would not have you so miserable as I am. Farewell. A last farewell.' "'The last!' exclaimed he with a wild shriek. "'Oh, God, Clotel, do not say that!' And covering his face with his hands, he wept like a child. Recovering from his emotion, he found himself alone." The moon looked down upon him mild but very sorrowfully, as the Madonna seemed to gaze upon her worshipping children 
bowed down with consciousness of sin. At that moment he would have given worlds to have disengaged himself from Gertrude, but he had gone so far that blame, disgrace, and duels with angry relatives would now attend any effort to obtain his freedom. Oh, how the moonlight oppressed him with its friendly sadness! It was like the plaintive eye of his forsaken one, like the music of sorrow echoed from an unseen world. Long and earnestly he gazed at that cottage, where he had so long known earth's purest foretaste of heavenly bliss. Slowly he walked away, then turned again to look on that charmed spot, the nestling place of his early affections. He caught a glimpse of Clotel, weeping beside a magnolia, which commanded a long view of the path leading to the public road. He would have sprung toward her, but she darted from him and entered the cottage. That graceful figure, weeping in the moonlight, haunted him for years. It stood before his closing eyes and greeted him with the morning dawn. Poor Gertrude! Had she known all, what a dreary lot would hers have been! But fortunately, she could not miss the impassioned tenderness she never experienced, and Horatio was the more careful in his kindness, because he was deficient in love. After Clotel had been separated from her mother and sister, she turned her attention to the subject of Christianity, and received that consolation from her Bible that is never denied to the children of God. Although it was against the laws of Virginia for a slave to be taught to read, Carrer had employed an old free negro who lived near her to teach her two daughters to read and write. She felt that the step she had taken in resolving never to meet Horatio again would no doubt expose her to his wrath, and probably cause her to be sold, yet her heart was too guileless for her to commit a crime, and therefore she had ten times rather have been sold as a slave than do wrong. Some months after the marriage of Horatio and Gertrude, their barouche rolled along a winding road that skirted the forest near Clotel's cottage, when the attention of Gertrude was suddenly attracted by two figures among the trees by the wayside, and touching Horatio's arm she exclaimed, "'Do look at that beautiful child!' He turned and saw Clotel and Mary. His lips quivered and his face became deadly pale. His wife looked at him intently, but said nothing. In returning home he took another road, but his wife, seeing this, expressed a wish to go back the way they had come. He objected, and suspicion was awakened in her heart, and she soon after learned that the mother of that lovely child bore the name of Clotel, a name which she had often heard Horatio murmur in uneasy slumbers. From gossiping tongues she soon learned more than she wished to know. She wept, but not as poor Clotel had done, for she never had loved, and been beloved like her, and her nature was more proud. Henceforth the change came over her feelings and her manners, and Horatio had no further occasion to assume a tenderness in return for hers. Changed as he was by ambition, he felt the wintry chill of her polite propriety, and sometimes, in agony of heart, compared it with the gushing love of her who was indeed his wife. But these and all his emotions were a sealed book to Clotel, of which she could only guess the contents. With remittances for her and her child's support, there sometimes came earnest pleadings that she would consent to see him again, but these she never answered, though her heart yearned to do so. She pitied his young bride, and would not be tempted to bring sorrow into her household by any fault of hers. Her earnest prayer was that she might not know of her existence. She had not looked on Horatio since she watched him under the shadow of the magnolia, until his barouche passed her in her rambles some months after. She saw the deadly paleness of his countenance, 
and had he dared to look back, he would have seen her tottering with faintness. Mary brought water from a rivulet and sprinkled her face. When she revived, she clasped the beloved child to her heart with a vehemence that made her scream. Soothingly she kissed away her fears and gazed into her beautiful eyes with a deep, deep sadness of expression, which poor Mary never forgot. Wild were the thoughts that passed round her aching heart, and almost maddening her poor brain, thoughts which had almost driven her to suicide the night of that last farewell. For her child's sake she had conjured the fierce temptation then, and for her sake she struggled with it now. But the gloomy atmosphere of their once happy home overclouded the morning of Mary's life. Clotel perceived this, and it gave her unutterable pain. Tis ever thus with woman's love, true till life's storms have passed, and like the vine around the tree, it braves them to the last. End of chapter 8